say hello internet. Hello internet. Say hello internet. Hello internet. I, I love, love my, my daddy. Daddy. He's miss. He, he is, is the ba, the ba, best. Best. Yeah. Hello internet. Hello internet. Hello internet. All right, everybody, coming at you from uh, the world headquarters in Brea, California. Going to hit 90 degrees today, um, and uh, and Seth Erie's home with uh, some green snot. So thank you to the babysitters for taking him to lunch. Um, Andy, I was uh, I was checking on our iTunes reviews the uh-huh. other day, and it was so sweet to see your mom on there. In it now now, <laughs> the person didn't identify themselves as your mom but um it was clearly like someone it was either your wife or your mom do you have sisters i have one sister so it was your sister but but the 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 phrase was used and and interestingly the review isn't there this morning when i went to go look for it yeah interestingly that review is gone now Hmm. um but they were whoops i got to turn off my phone um the the review was really really a, a blatant attack on me <laughs> and my treatment of you <laughs> and you are described in the review as Andy is kind and warm-hearted now listen that may be true but no one no one would describe you that way <laughs> unless it's unless you're related to them all right yeah yeah so I'm a pretty cold cold person yes yeah. and so so oh yeah and i was i was rebuked for making fun of your hipster lifestyle yeah i want to be really clear about this um the hipster lifestyle is worthy of being made fun of all right and um if that offends you andy's mom then uh i'm sorry there's nothing i can do about that all right um i am a midwest frat boy and <laughs> Hipsters, hipsters are good. They're good for cannon fodder and they're good for flossing. Yeah, with... and and starting up the next big thing that they may never start up. <laughs> it's true. It's true. The frat, frat boys can't figure out. Uh, Gen Xers cannot. I, I could have never figured out how to do this. So yes, but it was it was funny. It was sweet, and I read it and I thought, oh, that's got to be Andy's mom. Yeah, it's it's nice to know that people are out there backing me up. Yes, you poor guy trying to save me from uh from you know. A I'm pretty just... serious offense of internet bullying. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, wherever you are today, we're so glad to be a part of of what you're doing, and hopefully we can make your exercise seem a little less taxing, or your drive seem a little less awful, or our door opening um, in the background. <laughs> the uh, the the nice microphones Andy has like pick up everything like when I lean back in my little chair a little oh, rocker yeah. you can hear that you can hear the squeak you can hear Andy that's the aesthetic we want to bring though you know we're trying to bring people into the room that's right this is the world headquarters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right so we're gonna talk I hope this is the last one on spiritual abuse um, it, evidently I've been embodying it to Andy this whole time and I had no idea. So, so we need to quickly jump off this topic <laughs> before <laughs> before I condemn myself. Given how cold I am, the likelihood further. of you being forgiven is pretty yes, low. yes, you are cold. Um, so, so just a reminder: if I'm hoping people are kind of accumulate accumulating these kind of topics in order, because obviously spiritual abuse that's a pretty loaded term. And it doesn't mean everything that goes on in a church that you might disagree with. It doesn't mean uh, having strong personalities or leadership. It doesn't mean any of that. Spiritual abuse is uh, that word is applied when there there is a power disparity, uh, either between a congregation and a pastor, between a pastor and a board or a congregation. I mean, it can go a bunch of different ways. But that disparity in power is used to the advantage of... Uh, the one in power. So there's manipulation, there's coercion, there's unwritten rules, there's silence. And and Jesus, the good news is that Jesus hated this stuff. And so I don't remember how far we got last week, Andy, but I want to revisit one of the, start with one of the critiques again that I know we hit. I just don't know how far, I don't remember how far we got. Okay. Um, I don't go back and listen because my voice is so, so horrible. (laughs) 
and I'm jealous of all the attention you're getting. So, um, but but the Jesus says uh, in verse 43 in Luke 11, he says, Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. And, and one of the sure signs of a spiritually abusive environment is whoever the leader or leaders are, they're very focused on reinforcing their authority and their position. Uh, uh, obedience uh, is tied not to trust and respect, it's tied to authority and position. Mm. And, uh, and, and certainly the, the impulse on the religious leader side of things, or you know, whoever it is that it's in the power position, the impulse to find joy and life in the most important seats and in the respectful greetings and you know in the 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 biblical study you know major I had or the seminary degree I have or the PhD or whatever that still that still is around today as we we were talking about and with the advent of social media can very easily now be amplified and so that there exists this celebrity culture where if um uh, where people are put on pedestals that Jesus would adamantly and vehemently oppose. There's no question about that. And so one of the signs of a healthy leadership environment is that there aren't many pedestals. Like Jesus, Jesus is kind of on the big pedestal. And yes, gifts are recognized and offices are respected and authority you know, is somehow manifested in some very kind, servant-hearted way. But that Jesus really is the point of the whole thing. And Francis Chan has this great line. He says, you know, if you're walking around and you hear, you're wa- if you're walking around your church and you hear your name more than you hear the name of Jesus, maybe, maybe <laughs> something's wrong. And, and so um, one of the things that, that sits behind this desire to be in the most important seats and the respectful greetings is the, the, the idea, and, and we do this, for, for those of us that are paid sort of religious professionals, we can do this very unconsciously in, in that we start, we start thinking we're entitled to kind of, kind of special privileges because of the unique sacrifice of what we do. So, and, and certainly there are some unique things about getting up and talking to hundreds or thousands of people every weekend. And, and there are unique things that go with that. It is unique to be, uh, at the head of a volunteer community that often has a budget and that, that runs in the millions of dollars. I mean, that, yes, those are kind of unique things, but we've created, in some ways, we've created a special class of Christian. It used to be, like if you were an overseas missionary, those were the Christian Jedis, right? Uh, and, and then maybe in the 80s, the 90s, it, now now you had to be a strong leader. And there was this huge emphasis on leadership, you yeah, know, and like yeah. those were the Jedis. And now now it's cause related. So it's all the nonprofit starters and all the and all the social justice pioneers. I mean, those are the Jedis. And 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 through all those ebbs and flows, there there there's still the church kind of mega church sort of public faces, those that are teaching every weekend that can embody, you know, sometimes we take on these different personalities and if it's a leadership flavor then I'm preaching on leadership and if it's a social justice flavor I'm preaching on social justice whatever but it's very very easy and I think we live in a world that colludes with that impulse to create a special kind uh, of you know I'm, I'm in full-time ministry I've heard this said by people who work for churches I'm in full-time ministry which is totally unbiblical and totally antithetical to um, the idea of vocation in the scriptures that everyone, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are in full-time ministry as a real estate broker, as a stay-at-home mom or dad, as a teacher, as an architect, as a, as a um, you know, uh, an accountant. I mean, it's irrelevant. Everyone's in full-time ministry. But there is this, there is this thing where people talk about their call to ministry and, and you know, there's this special sort of uh, unique subclass of those that are working for churches and we're sacrificing we don't get paid as much as the our peers in the marketplace and that entitles us to specific you know exemptions or specific perks make yeah. sense yeah so so jesus critiques this whole thing there's another way this happens though and it, it can this can happen with any christian anywhere and, and that is part of the self-righteous judgment that the Pharisees were so um, well known for and critiqued by Jesus about. And, and, and that is the idea that it becomes really, really easy 
uh, to forget about your own crap and to begin to look down upon other people who you consider were sinners than you. And you see this in the Christian culture wars, right, all the time. The big sins that Christian culture seem to be worried about aren't the sins they're guilty of. Right? So Christian culture isn't obsessing over consumerism and materialism and uh, its own greed, but it's obsessing over sexual sins and what counts as marriage and who can use what bathroom. Um, Christian culture isn't, isn't so much talking about its celebrity syndrome or its pride or, or the fact that it invests millions and millions of dollars on state-of-the-art facilities that sometimes go unused throughout the week. I mean, it's just, you know, so, so, so there is this sense that as a corporate culture, we're guilty of this, but individually we can become guilty of this. And this is something Jesus critiques quite dramatically in other places when he talks about, listen, you should consider the sin in someone else's life to be a speck of dust compared to the sin in your own life, which you should consider a two by four, right? A log in his words versus a speck of dust. And, and what begins to happen if we're not careful as followers of Jesus and, and you non-followers of Jesus can certainly attest to this happening because odds are you've been the object of one of these judgments that, that we flip it. And I look at my sin as just a speck and everyone else's sin as just these massive two by fours. And so my job is to go around and make sure that everyone knows that I disagree with your two by four. I object with your two by or I object to your two by four. I want to restrict your ability to use your two by four. I mean, whatever it is, it's all focused on them and it's never focused on us. And Jesus comes against that stuff dramatically often ferociously. So sitting behind the most important seats in the marketplace is the idea that, yes, that, that, that for those of us religious professionals, there's this, yep, I have this unique role, no one understands, you know, blah, 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 and a culture that kind of colludes with that way of thinking. And then secondly, there, there is so easily um, there, there's this creeping of pride and self-righteousness that comes in to Jesus' people if we're not careful, if we're not constantly reminding ourselves we're the biggest sinners in the room. Because I don't know anyone else's inside. I don't know what they think. I don't know what their motives are. I don't know what their backstory is. I just know mine. And because of that, I, what my inside is, is way worse than what I see on your outside, always. And so um, in that sort of posture, you don't seek the most important spaces and you're and you're not super concerned with the authority of your position because you realize it's all a gift none of it is entitled none of it is special because you're special it's all grace and it's all a gift and imagine if jesus people began to literally kind of walk around that way thinking it's all grace it's all grace we don't we're not entitled to any of it now jesus so he's he's leveled a couple of critiques here hypocrisy pride, double standards. I mean, the whole thing. And then he says, and this is the most damning thing he could have said to this crowd, who was most concerned about being ceremonially clean and undefiled by sinners. He says, woe to you. You are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. Now, the huge teaching in the Old Testament was that you are not to come into contact with anything that is dead. Okay, there is a kingdom of death that is opposite the kingdom of life. And for hygienic reasons, for safety reasons, for purity reasons, for ceremonial reasons, you do not come into contact with things that are dead or come into contact with things that have come into contact with things that are dead. Hmm. All right? So, so graves, so walking over a grave would pollute you religiously. It would, it, so what they would do is they would mark, they would very clearly mark the graves. They would do something called whitewash the graves and they, they would wash them down with lime or lye. I don't remember which it is. I think it's lye. I think it's, lye. <laughs> it's not lime. These aren't Corona's. Um, I think it was lie, and and it would turn them white. But as the rains came, it would wash the the lie off, and they would have to continually wash. You know, uh, because think about it: if you're if you have traveled, 
I don't know, a week to get to Jerusalem to go up to one of the major festivals, right? Three times a year, you were supposed to go to one of these festivals. And suppose, you know, um, you're looking forward to it. You're spending a huge amount of your income to, to, to travel. You're in a large crowd to do it safely. And suppose you accidentally go walking over a grave and someone points that out. Well, according to the Old Testament, you need to now undergo a purification process that takes seven or eight days. And that is the time. I mean, that's the whole feast. The feasts were seven or eight days, depending on how you counted the days. And so you you would have undergone all of that expense for nothing because you were now ritually polluted. So Jesus looks at these teachers who are so intensely caring about being ritually pure. He says, you guys are like unmarked graves where people walk over them and they don't even know. In other words, instead of keeping people clean, you're actually making them dirty. You could not have given a Pharisee in the first century a, a more stringent uh, attack and insult than that. You, you're actually having the opposite effect. And so, so one of the, one of the things that, one of the symptoms of a, an abusive or toxic culture is that the people are getting sicker. They're not getting healthier. And that all of the remedies for sickness have to do with focus on the outside. Here's more law. Here are more rules. Here's more ritual. Um, and all that does is weigh people down. Uh, abusive leaders tend to wound people and make them sicker while at the same time, they're convincing the people that they're actually helping them and making them better, as opposed to Jesus, of course, who actually healed people and set them free. And so is there joy? Is there freedom? Um, toxic cultures will never produce those things. They will always, in the name of being right or in the name of being controlling or in the name of whatever, maintaining that power disparity and maintaining the perception that all is well, in the name of that, you will actually, is that the door? Holy Spirit just walked in. Or you've had some chili. <laughs> either either one. Anything you want to tell me about, Andy? All right, he's gonna go, he's gonna go close the door. See the home office. <sighs> Andy, we need to we need to like get a legitimate home like office, you know, because kids are interrupting and doors are opening and you know, we're we're highly professional around here. This is embarrassing. Yeah, I mean we we, we have like a twelve million dollar church budget. I don't know why we haven't just built I'm a I'm a celebrity Andy studio so you and I could talk on two microphones. I'm a celebrity, Andy, so somebody should do that. All right. Um so so what's what's interesting is that unmarked graves look like normal ground. Right? There's nothing announcing their graves. And so you walk over them, you have no idea, but in fact, you've just become unclean. And so um, because the Pharisees, see, we see them as the bad guys. They were the, they were the people that were the most like evangelical Christians in the first century. Zealous about sharing their faith, zealous about the Bible, zealous about prayer and, and personal discipline, zealous about generosity and tithing even spices. And so... Um, Jesus has his harshest critiques for them. I just find that so interesting to people who get upset at me for critiquing the church. I'm like, well, that's what Jesus did. When Jesus, when Jesus makes an appearance in the book of Revelation, he's talking about the church. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? He's critiquing yeah. the church. And so there, there's a sense in which, and then Jesus, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So Jesus is at a table He's eating with Pharisees, and then he's eating with a group called teachers of the law or scribes. These were the people who made the determinations about what was allowed and what was not allowed. Okay, so they would take the 613 rules, weave them into this huge oral tradition, and then it would keep making uh, adjudications between, you know, this is this is allowable uh, in this circumstance, this is not allowable, and then the Pharisees would apply them with great vigor. So those two groups fit together. So Jesus is at this dinner; he's counterculturally insulting the host. All right, I mean, like this was a no-no. One of the teachers of the law, this is verse 45 of Luke 11. One of the teachers of the law answered him, teacher, meaning Jesus, when you say these things, you insult us also. <laughs> and, and, and Jesus, so Jesus, ever warm, ever fuzzy, turns his attention now 
on these guys and says, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. And, and so it is, oh, it is Mrs. Erie. I kid you not, again. Okay, baby, we're podcasting. Hi, what's that? You left me a voicemail and said, give me a call. Yeah, I've got some good news. What's the good news? I'm pregnant. pregnant. Ah! <laughs> no, I'll call, you, I'll call you later. Okay, bye. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling she you knows what, you too well. That is not planned. That is, the Mrs. Erie calling is never planned. It just happens. We're, we're full of all kinds of spontaneous Let me just say this. Let me just say this. When I look at the top religious podcasters, does Joel Olstein cuz he's like number 1, does he does he have a creaky chair? Does his door open? No. Of course no, not. No, he's he's professional. Andy, we need to up the production value around here at Vox. <laughs> okay. All right, that's your job. Do do something hipsterish. We could stop by answering phone calls while on the show. <laughs> that would... <laughs> hey, that's not warm and kind-hearted. <laughs> well, I, I'm a I'm a cold-hearted baby. Oh, okay. Now, <laughs> so this is what Jesus says, and it's so so stinking genius. You load people down with burdens uh, that they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help. So the word load is is what it's loading cargo onto a ship okay so the idea is you're placing box upon box upon box upon box on somebody and uh and you're not helping them you're just you're kind of just sitting there commanding that the boxes be put on them and so so there's this there's this very specific application where uh, toxic environments abusive leaders will always care more about rules than people Always. This is the death of mercy we talked about last time. But now he applies it to their theologians, to their teachers. And he says, um, you, 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 you use these rules to exhaust them, to control them. You burden them down. There's no joy. There's no freedom. Uh, by contrast, Jesus, what's he say? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Light, And it's not because Jesus doesn't have any rules. It's not the rules that are the issue. It's, it's the fact that the rules were used to delineate who's in, who's out, who's spiritual, who's unspiritual, who, who are the ones that are really zealous, who are the ones that aren't really zealous. No, Jesus summarizes the whole 613 commands, love God and love neighbor. At what point do you ever fully accomplish and perfectly accomplish those? Never. So in many ways, Jesus intensified the commands, but he also was one, he said, you know, he used the idea of yoke. And, a, and you were yoked to something when you shared the burden of it. So two oxen were yoked together and they'd be sharing the burden of the plow. Well, Jesus' idea is you yoke yourself to him. And he's the one who teaches you. He's the one that empowers you. He's the one that leads you in grace. He's the one uh, that, helps you, that helps you carry whatever it is that God is asking of the people who've given themselves to him. And so the scribes and the Pharisees were massively massively um, adding lists and lists and lists. And we've talked about this, the Sabbath commands, right? It's not just do not work. It's here's 39 categories. Um, it's it's the insanity of how they would insist meals be prepared um, and the, the ritual washings you would undergo. I mean, it was it, the 613 commands were plenty exhaustive, but they didn't cover every circumstance. And so what you would do is you just kept adding as circumstances came up more and more and more and more until the people, why even try? Yeah. Why I, I can't even remember all of the commands, let alone try to, to do them as a subsistence level farmer, mm -hmm. right? There's just no way. And at that, at that, I don't want to derail where you're going. Mm. But I mean, when you say that though, I wonder... I mean, because we're talking about a culture of people, not just people outside of a belief that come into it, but rather a culture of people that abide by these rules that were presented as their as their belief system. Right. I mean, is there much about hearing 
like you just said, a farmer decides like I'm just gonna not follow the rules anymore. So yeah. I guess I'm not a Jew, or yeah. I guess I'm no, no. They were a different classification. They were called Amha Aretz. Okay, they were called All people right. of the land, uh-huh. and 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 they they were classified in various ways. Some some Amha Aretz were were synonymous with just sinners. You know, they these were the people that were poor. These were the people that couldn't keep the festivals. These are the people that you know, blah 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 okay. blah. But but I, I I think there are other there are other rabbinical teachings that even classify the Amha Aretz within that whole designation. But you know, there was a category for these people. Okay. And um often they're called in Luke in Luke's gospel, often they're just called the poor. Okay. And it doesn't just mean economic poor, it means the the outcast, the marginalized, the disadvantaged, those those who are barely making it. So when Jesus announces, hey, I've got good news for the poor, you would have understood that as not good news for the religious elite. You would have understood that as good news for the Amha Retz. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so anyway, did you have something else? Yeah, so I, then, I wanted to then go one step further. Oh, boy. Where we know about the little childhood of Jesus and his like pre-ministry life being a carpenter, did where does that kind of place him i mean in that picture sure kind of before so so first of all we don't know that he was a carpenter he was okay. a tecton so okay that that's a craftsman that could have been stone that could have been wood okay um so take that secondly <laughs> from from the indications we get um mary and joseph were tour observant and so one of the one of the very interesting things is when jesus is presented at the temple uh, in the book of Luke, what's the animals that are used to to um, to offer sacrifice are doves, which is the lowest, like the cheapest category yeah. of offering, and so that gives you some indication that Mary and Joseph weren't entirely well off. Um, secondly, where they lived. Um, was not known as a as a place for for right. riches, upper right. class. So so Jesus, his Torah observantness um, would have categorized him as somebody. Uh, he, he would have probably been called somebody called a habarim, an habarim, which was a part of the fellowship. It was the group of men that would sit at the city gate and discuss Torah. Okay. Um, you even see that when Jesus is at the temple, the 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 at, when he's twelve, the the religious the religious people there are amazed at the questions he's asking. Right. Um, but socioeconomically, Jesus would have been classified as part of the poor. Yeah, yeah. part of the Amha Retz. Okay. So does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, it's fascinating because we we talk so much about how Jesus brings these conversations to the Pharisees, and it's like, wait, where did this guy come from? Like his, he, he's obviously advocating for the poor, advocating for the weak. And in right. a way, you're like, Jesus is also talking about his peers that he's grown up with, that he knows. And right. now he's like speaking amongst the religious elite. Yep. So it just gives me a, a, a more complete picture to see to what we're talking about. See that, Andy? Come on. I am humble. No, no, no. I am. My burden is light and my yoke is easy. Mm-hmm. Or my yoke is yite and my... Burden is queasy, or something like that. Now, um, so back then it was really easy to see how they added burdens onto other people. Today it's a little more insidious. So I've got I've got four. Let's see, one, two, three, four ways that I've seen this happen in terms of how we add burdens onto other people and don't help them carry. So. Um, the first way is through something that um, the author Dallas Woolard calls sin management. And so usually what what can be um, understood in Christian circles is that you come to Jesus. He gives you a ticket to heaven so that your soul is taken care of in the afterlife. And then the point of the Christian life is try to try to do good and to try to uh, avoid bad. Right. Go and sin no more. Right. Um, and, and, and so what will happen is that that will get cashed out in terms of here's what you do and here's what you don't do. Um, it, it's funny, our, our suite, uh, we just moved to Brea and we have some neighbors who were trying to explain to their kids what a pastor is. And, and so the explanation was, this is a guy who tells people to be nice. That's what, that's what they understood. That's what they understood a pastor to be. And so, so, so guys be nice. Okay, 
Uh, that's no different than Santa Claus, evidently, because um, I'm watching. So, so, so you have this, and and it and it comes from the the greatest of hearts, because there are things, there are behaviors and ways of living that foster kingdom life, and there are there ways of living and acting and thinking and talking that that oppose kingdom life. So there are things to do. Praying is a good thing. Reading the Bible is a good thing. The issue is when those things become the point instead of the relationship with God they're supposed to foster. So if all you're worried about is having date nights as a married person and you're not really caring about whether your spouse is okay and you're communicating well, but hey, you're having date nights, so your marriage must be good, right? In the same way, that's phony. There's this phony thing out there where we can sub, you know, unwillingly, subconsciously be adding burdens on each other because, well, that's just what Christianity is. It turns out to be just another world religion where there are pillars, where there are laws, where there are commandments, and uh, ours just happen to be Jesus-focused, and theirs just happen to be focused around some someone or something else. Make sense? Yeah. So, you know, a good Christian is someone who reads their Bible, has their quiet time, prays, shares their faith, uh, goes to church, gives to the church, serves at the church, right? I mean, you have this list, and you can evaluate how you did at the end of the day based on the list, and and then you can evaluate how other people are doing. And so this 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 either gives rise, this approach either gives rise to absolute defeatism, which is I'm never going to get it right, so I try, or it gives rise to self-righteous pride, which look at how great I'm doing, right? Look right. at look at how much I'm giving, look at how much I'm serving, whatever it is. And you can look down on other people. So that's the first way it happens. The the other ways are are more interesting to me. As I've gotten a bit older, uh, and by older I mean in my early thirties, um, the the one of the other ways we we lay burdens on each other is that we insist that you have to believe every small thing that the Bible teaches in order for you to begin to follow Jesus. So it's not behavioral burdens we give people; it's doctrinal burdens we give people. So it's, it's not just enough to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus has died and risen again. Now you have to believe in the virgin birth. You have to believe in the inerrancy of the Bible. You have to believe that Jesus is coming back. You have to believe that he's coming back and there's a millennium. Um, you have to believe there's a tribulation there. You have to believe that there's a six-day creation there. You have to believe there's a literal global flood. Adam and Eve were real people. Uh, the Old Testament and all of its facets was true, literal, factual, doesn't contradict each other. I mean, you just go on and on and on and on and on and for for a lot of us um there are parts of it we can easily come to agree with and then there are parts of us that parts of it that take us a while you know so so to my friends that are out there thinking well i believe in evolution if you're going to make that an all or nothing proposition you cannot be in a believe in evolution and follow jesus well guess what you've just done You've, you've erected a barrier, you've made a fence, you've created a litmus test, you have added a burden that is not in the scriptures to be added as a burden. What you've done is you've made your interpretation of a particular thing part of the central nature of the thing itself. And, uh, and that's the way we add burdens to each other. Mm -hmm. So do I think there's some non-negotiables? Well, of course I do. Absolutely I do. Paul tells us that the early earliest creed uh, in the church was Jesus is Lord. Yep, I think to follow Jesus, you've got to be convinced there's something about this guy. He also talks about how um, one of the earliest confessions of the church was that Jesus um, Jesus was um, born, uh, Jesus had died, Jesus had risen again. I mean, according to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15 doesn't say he was born uh, but but that Jesus died according to our sins, that he was buried on the third day, that he'd risen again and appeared to witnesses. I mean, that like there are some there are some like baseline sorts of things that make you a follower of Jesus as opposed to a follower of something else. But that list is so much shorter than a lot of our theological systems would have you believe. Mm -hmm. Right. So how many people who encountered Jesus knew that he was the second person of the Trinity? You know, and and so there's a sense in which, yes, right believing matters, it, right doctrine matters. I get that, and I'm a huge fan of knowing truth because truth sets us free. But 
you can take that to the point where uh, knowing whatever truth becomes another burden. And we're actually hindering people from coming into the kingdom because we're presenting the, the believing they have to do as an all or nothing package. And that's just not how Jesus portrays it. He's the center of the thing. Everything else is peripheral. So that's a huge way we add burdens on each other. Um, a third way, and this is a subtle way, but a third way we add burdens on each other is when um, Larry Osborne uh, calls this gift projection. It's the idea that my calling should be everyone's calling. We talked a little bit about this last week. Where, um, so if, if I'm called to give everything away, everybody should be called to give everything away. If I share my faith radically all the time, everyone should be sharing their faith radically all the time. If I'm up in the morning and I pray for two hours, everyone should be up in the morning praying for two hours, right? Now, if you get a whole bunch of people passionately teaching all of those different things, that everyone should be doing all of those different things, what do you get? You just get burdens and burdens and burdens and burdens. I'm not a two-hour prayer guy. I'm not. I, I, it took me a while to figure that out. I don't just sit in a room quietly. I have to walk. I have to write. I have to do something. Sometimes I rock out to a little PJ and I'm praying. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that, there's there's a very kinetic sort of thing I got to be a part of, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, I do love I do love studying the Bible. Oh my goodness! But that's my gift. And so not everyone agrees it's a gift, but that's the thing that God, I feel like, has given me sure. to do. And it would be wrong for me then to expect that everybody else has to do it with the same intensity, passion, joy, you know, blah, 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 that I should do it with. So the, the danger, another way we add burdens on each other, it's like, it's like if you're a, um, uh, oh, what's the, what's the, what's the scent stuff? What is that stuff Essential called? Oils? Essential oils. Oh, yeah. How annoying, Bonnie, I know you're listening. How annoying are those people? Or, or uh, you, you need to look up, if you've never seen J.P. Sears on Facebook, he has these videos about how to be gluten-free. Ultra-spiritual. Ultra-spiritual. It's just genius. But um, like gluten-free or CrossFit people, man, it, it could be because I'm chunky and those are my sensitive spots, but <laughs> doggone it. Not everyone needs to be in CrossFit, okay? Not everybody. All right, I'm I'm more of a croissant fit myself, but that's a different that's a different sort of thing. Now, so I'm just teasing. If you're listen, if you're an essential oil person or cross person, God loves you. God, lo Jesus died for you. It's okay. All right, we love you. We love you. We love you. Um, Chemex. I mean, another example. IPAs. Another example. I'm living with Here somebody who's like this. Hockey. So. So one of the ways we add burdens on each other is just that way, yeah. right? My my passion, my call, my gift set should be everybody's. Yeah, your your way is not the Christian way. Oh, that sounds I like think a we good name that for a podcast. I, think, I, think we... I like that one. All right, and then and then um, one last one is that we mistake unity and uniformity. Yeah. So unity doesn't mean we all agree the same way, act the same way, talk the same way. Um, unity means we have something in common, namely Jesus. <laughs> so it's kind of like a family. Unity in a family is we share blood, right? We share a family bond. But you've got Nate, who is this um, a, a kind of athletic sort of genius. You've got Hannah, who's this brilliant artist, questioner. You've got Sefi, who is just this marvelous piece of like divine energy kind of left over from the big bang you know what i mean that's what he is and that's that that's that's the best description i've ever heard for, for Seth. oh it's so it's true and 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 my wife and i you know i mean she she has horrible taste in me but but we're still family right so so one of the things that we think we have to arrive at as the church is that we all have to agree on everything and, and I know intellectually we know we don't and we can't, but yet sometimes it's the way it's portrayed. And so these are just more burdens that we add. Hey, we're Presbyterian. We believe this. Hey, we're Reformed. We believe this. Hey, you know, I'm, uh, I'm covenantal or dispensational, so we believe these things. And so it becomes about the systems instead of the bond that you have with other people. I'm Assemblies of God. I'm Presbyterian. I'm Cal I mean, there, there's a sense in which... 
um, I think Jesus, were he here, would be reminding us <laughs> that those things aren't as important as we make them out to be. Right. And when we make them more important, we just add burdens. We just add burdens. All right. Now, Jesus isn't done. Well, how, how, what time is it? Like, how long have we been going? 40 minutes. Oh, my Lord. <sighs> okay. Well, Andy, I, I got to try. I got to try to get done, man. Come on. You keep interrupting. I don't want to do number six. I know. Me neither. <laughs> Maybe we'll just have to call it something else and not say it's spiritual abuse number six. <laughs> I'm high on loving you. Yeah, that, that, that. So then every time I hear that, I feel like I'm being spiritual. Oh, seriously, huh? So um, then Jesus, after that, they say, hey, when you insult them, you insult us. Woe to you, he says. And then the second thing he says to him, woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets. All right. So the prophets that were sent by God, you build tombs for them, but it was your ancestors who killed them. And so the Old Testament is, is much of... Not much, but a large part of the Old Testament is the record of the prophets sent by God calling Israel back to being Israel, God's people, to their obedience, to holiness, to whatever. And very often, most often, those prophets were not welcomed with open arms. And so, so Jesus says, you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be responsible for it all. Now, th now this, this critique, we could spend a whole hour on just this critique, but it's the idea that in rejecting Jesus... They are rejecting the whole prophetic movement that had begun when God first began the cosmic rescue operation through the formation of Israel. That, that, that Jesus was what the whole thing was pointing to. And in rejecting him, they are rejecting everything that pointed to him. And when they celebrate their past, they're celebrating a past that very often opposed the God they, they think they're worshiping by celebrating the past. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. No, I, I just didn't think, I never thought about it that way. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Andy, sweet Andy. So, so one of the things that, 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 one of the things that can happen is, is that abusive systems, toxic systems can, can have a relationship to the past that isn't quite honest. So you can be celebrating things that actually opposed God. You could be remembering, you could be, you could have rose colored glasses about we're hanging on to the past because it was so great. And so we use that now just to critique the present. Nothing could ever be as good as it was 50 years ago. Or you could just forget the past ever happened and be determined to make all the same mistakes everyone else made, right? So you could, so toxic systems will either pretend the past has never happened or they will so over-venerate the past that um, they'll use it just to beat down anything new or anything God is doing presently. Make sense? Oh, yeah. So there, so there's this interesting relationship to the past. And, and, and you see this in, in the worship wars that infect church culture. You know, there's this, um, hey, we've got to have hymns. Um, and the choruses are evil, but we forget that hymns, when they were first written, were sometimes written to drinking songs, and they were opposed by the religious establishment using some of the same language that the modern worships. I mean, it's just silly. And, 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 and this happens very, very often when people talk about the early church. So, so I've heard this, and so we're going to get back to the New Testament church. And, and the problem is that um, that dramatically underappreciates how jacked up the New Testament church was <laughs> and how jacked up the leadership of the New Testament church was, yeah. right? Because when you have an overly rosy view of the past, you're going to have an overly pessimistic view of the present and the future. Yeah. And you're going to use the past to beat up what's ever happening in the present. And so one of the great ways this happens is um, we think, hey, uh, that New Testament church, man, all we got to do is read Acts and, and just do it. And, you know, the same results will kind of happen. 
And I'm not so sure that's true. I mean, when, when, and I don't have time to defend this, but the Acts Church um, really made some big mistakes. One of the mistakes it made is that it was told in Acts chapter 1 to go to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But it, it wasn't until years later in Acts chapter 8 when a persecution broke out that they actually did it. Because it was so intense and so beautiful and so great. And maybe they believed that God was coming back to Jerusalem at any moment. Um, they stayed there. And, and in chapter 8, a great persecution had to break out against the church to get them moving to fulfill the initial commission God had given them in Jesus. Not only that, but the church was racist. I mean, they had to be convinced multiple times that Gentile, non-Jewish people did not have to be circumcised to follow Jesus, even though Jesus himself had taught that, uh, enacted it, and no question, there were Old Testament precursors all over the place. And then you have this, you have this, um, this idea that the leaders of the Jerusalem church were kind of infallible, but you know it was led by Peter, who had to be called out by a guy named Paul, because Peter, when um, when some of the Jerusalem church wasn't around, he would eat with Jews and non-Jews. But when some of the Jerusalem church people showed up, he refused to eat with non-Jews. He would just eat with Jews. And so Paul says, I had to call him out on his hypocrisy. Then you have a guy named Paul, who 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 gets in a fight with the guy that kind of brought him to Jesus named Barnabas over a guy named John Mark. Uh, because John Mark bailed on one of their missionary journeys. Barnabas, who wanted to give John Mark another chance, uh, said, hey, let's bring him on journey number two. Uh, Paul said, heck no, dude, that guy's a loser. And this, and their disagreement was so sharp, they just went their separate ways. And, and then you realize later in Paul's life, he's calling John Mark one of the, his most stalwart companions, meaning he was wrong. He was wrong to be that harsh against John Mark. Um, so there's a bit of hypocrisy. There's a bit of harsh judgment. I mean, are we shocked? Right? And then you have the churches themselves. The church in Ephesus um, uh, so was so doctrinally pure, but it lost its first love of Jesus that Jesus says at the end of the first century, dude, I'm going to shut your church down. And he actually did years later. Um, you've got the church in Corinth where people were getting drunk at communion and there was an incestuous, some sort of incestuous relationship that was being celebrated and, and people were playing favorites and arguing with each other and suing each other. And I mean, this stuff was jacked up, but in the name of control, in the name of appearance, in the name of having a church that really carries my, as a leader's reputation, we just shut that stuff down. We emphasize, uh, one author called it the McDonaldization of the church, that the same cultural values, the McDonald's values, you know, control, efficiency, reproduction, not biological, but like be able to reproduce loads of burgers and whatever else, that those same things affect modern megachurches, which is an interesting critique. Mm. But the idea the idea that somehow the past in all of its beauty, whether it was 2,000 years ago or it was 1950 or it was 1980 or it was the Jesus movement in the 70s, that somehow those were the good days. Man, that so insidiously affects what God may want to be doing in the meantime. Now, now the opposite extreme is just to pretend like, well, there's no past. And that God will do something totally new and totally fresh he's never done before. He could... But we see these ebbs and flows in 2,000 years of church history that allow us to kind of go, oh, okay, well, here we are. We're, the pendulum has swung this way, and it'll swing back, and, you know, back and forth we go. And so what Jesus critiques, in a way, doesn't have an application to us because we're not Israel. We're not building memorials to the prophets and those sorts of things. But it does highlight something abusive systems can carry, which is an overly idealized view of the past that crushes anything new that God wants to do. Or the past doesn't exist at all, and we're just kind of doomed to repeat uh, the mistakes that have been made. Make sense? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just, he just uh, yawned. He just yawned. Um, and then... And then he, he, the last thing, and doggone it, oh, there's more to say, but the last thing he says, woe to you experts in the law, you have taken away the key to knowledge, 
you yourselves have not entered and you've hindered those who were entering. Now, the big thing to the Pharisees was that they were righteous. They were clean. They were pure. Jesus says, you're like unmarked graves. The big thing to the teachers of the law is that they held the keys to knowledge, right? They were the ones who were the authoritative arbiters of what the definitive um, uh, interpretations were of Torah. And so Jesus looks at them and hits them in the most sensitive spot. You guys actually don't know what you're doing, what you're talking about. You're completely wrong and you're hindering other people from finding out the truth. I mean, holy moly. So if you're sitting out there and you hate the hypocrisy, you hate, you hate the double standards of the church, you hate this stuff. One of the points we've been making is Jesus would hate it too. One of the one of the other things is that some of you, I have no question, have come out of religiously abusive environments. And um, and part of why we've had this conversation now for five parts has been to validate the the weird feelings you had about it, the the hurt and the pain maybe that you felt as a result of it. The, the healing process that now needs to begin and to understand that Jesus isn't and he's not on the side of the abuser. He's on the he's on the side of the abused and that there is this really harsh. He's a, he's he's never harsher than when he is with the religious people, with the with the Amha Aretz, with the broken, the disfigured, the deformed, the handicapped. I mean, those people, grace, healing, blessing. Yes, he calls them to repentance, but they were hungry for it and his kindness led them to it. With the religious leaders who were convinced they were already in, he had to show them they weren't before they'd be hungry for the real thing. So Jesus offers these really harsh sorts of words to them in the hope of waking them up, you know, this judgment oracle. So I can imagine there are a few of you out there who are um, you, you have been in an environment like this and you've either walked away from the faith altogether or you're currently sitting there battered and bruised, scared to, to, um, go and reconnect or recommit to another like community of people or to place yourself under any other spiritual leadership because you've seen this abuse so much. Um, or I can imagine there are a few of you who are in these sorts of systems now. And, um, and so, so for some of you, there's a healing and a grieving process, a lamenting process, a, a process where we have to forgive, a process where, you know, that doesn't mean um, everything goes back to the way it was. Maybe I think we need to do a, a, a podcast on forgiveness. Maybe we'll do that one next. Or we'll respond to that ridiculous tweet from the Gospel Coalition about suffering being from God. Maybe we'll do that one next. I don't know. But... The forgive, the forgive word's a loaded word because it doesn't mean what we always think it means. There's there's something deeply profound that has to happen. Um, and then for those of you that are sitting in these systems now, please flee. <laughs> if you've mm -hmm. got any, if the, if the radar is up, just get out of there. There are healthy churches. There are healthy environments. There are places where you can go and you can flourish, where you can find, you know, objective third parties to help you kind of sort through what, um, what was abusive, what was not abusive, what, uh, what are the next steps? I mean, all those sorts of things, but just know, just know part of, um, the work of God in us has been to, and will be to confront those, the, those places of hypocrisy, those places of, of double standards, those places of secrets, those places of pretending for the sake of appearance, those places of majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors, those places of loading of, of loading burdens. I mean, the, the temptation for a bunch of us is to think of all the people who do this wrong, right? So I can name some churches and I can name some leaders that I would say, yep, abusive, toxic, stay away. But the, the greater work God wants to do is, is to sift me through this list and to say, okay, so what are the ways I feel prideful? What are the ways I look down on? What are the ways I take special perks? What are like, like, what are the ways I, I, I abuse Andy? What are the, no, he, he does it. He, he's been true. just fine. Yeah. He thinks, he thinks I'm, I'm fine people. He, I'm fine. He actually, he actually, <laughs> God, God told me he actually thinks I take it too easy on you. <laughs> so there is that. But no, all kidding aside, 
Um, there, there is a kind of a deep grid that we go through to become Jesus people, um, in the recognition that we're, that, that, that for a lot of us, we, we're purveyors of loads on other people. We're purveyors of hypocrisy. We're purveyors of some of the things we've talked about. And so there's deep work we have to do. So no, there's more to say, but if you don't, if you don't ask questions, we're going to move on. Um, to either forgiveness or uh, God's sovereignty and the problem of evil. Um, but it, I, I've heard from some of you very privately, some of your stories. And uh, so if there's something else about this topic you want to talk about, great. If not, I'll assume we've kind of said all there is that we have to say on it. There's some great books out there um, and great resources. There's some online communities. There's some counselors. All of those things exist to help uh, those of you kind of get back on your feet and to, to believe that God is good and that there are people who genuinely will want your good uh, as well. So that's all I got, Andy. You want to you add anything? Yeah, and I, I doubt you'll answer it. I'm going to say it because it, it fits to this episode still and, and maybe it's future ideas and conversations to have. But I feel the authoritative church that we see nowadays I mean, in a lot of ways, stems from the values of a capitalistic culture. Hmm. So, I mean, I, my the question I'm not asking you to answer. I'm saying it out loud. But is that is is what we battle against right now with how we see spiritual abuse in the larger organizational sense? Something that we've been cultured in, or is this something that goes back farther? I see it in the pharisaical um, picture. Sure. But it's interesting though when we look at. A lot of the things that are very boundary and fence and all of that in the modern church, yeah. so much of it seems like it's guarding the capital of what is the most success within the organization. Right. So it's kind of that's where, absolutely true. So I, you know, I mean, on my on my Facebook, I posted this Michael Moore thing where he went to Italy and like talked to like the the CEOs and workers of all these huge companies, and huh. all their focus is like love, life, relationship. They're just like, why make more money if the people you work with aren't happy? Hmm. It, it, it honestly it blew my mind i was just like i'm like and they're like how much paid vacation do you get you know from the from the government Whoa. it's like 80 days a year plus america zero i know but... so it's just you know there's just this other <laughs> so it's i mean i i have to i have to align it i mean i mean i'm not getting political here but we have to i feel like there's something there because then when we really look at jesus it's so countercultural. well what's our mm -hmm. culture american culture right so it's like we're constantly having to pull back from these well, yes, listen, systemic values. Yes, yes. Man, the cultural values uh, that go into being successful and putting on a show every weekend. Holy moly. And I've been a part of this. I mean, so I, I, I've seen it. I've, I've done it. I'm guilty of it. I've ran away from it. Um, there's the, the, there, there are these. The, and that, that is why, one of the reasons why you... Um, rarely meet somebody who is is working in mega church land who is deeply, deeply healthy. Now, I'm not saying they don't exist. There are tons that do, and they're great leaders. I can name all sorts of great leaders who have healthy environments who have that attitude. Um, but we could also name leaders that don't. Mm -hmm. And the 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 danger is. Uh, and one of the things the Old Testament does a beautiful job teaching is that the greatest hindrance to your future usefulness is your past success. Mm. And so if, if, if God did it and it blew up and all you're trying to do is recreate, sometimes that'll happen, but very often it won't. That was a season and that was the right, the, the right chemistry of God's move and certain gifts and a cultural hunger. You know, the Jesus movement in the 70s, man, that was something that's, we're not going to see that, 60s and 70s, we're not going to see that again. Um, the the movement that's happening among the millennials towards social justice and towards um, uh, integration of sacred and secular and those beautiful sorts of impulses, great. It's like, it's like, it's like the gorilla, you know, the, the whole gorilla, the kid falls oh, into the gorilla okay. pen. Right, the four-year-old kid, yeah. and and the internet, of course, blames the parents first, because you know none of us have ever lost their kids for a second for crying out freaking loud, and then there's this huge outpouring of grief for the gorilla, um, as if 
you know, we should have let the kid be in jeopardy and we should have, you know, we, we should have allowed the, the potential danger uh, to the kid to be outweighed by the, uh, the care for the gorilla. And, and it's such an interesting cultural conversation because on the one hand, there's an impulse there that is totally of God. And that is that we are responsible for our environment. Animals are to be taken care of. They're not to be abused. They're not to be trophies. They're not to be in zoos, right? I mean, we are culture bearers. We are, and people, no one would say it this way, but part of being made in the image of God is the fact that we're to care for creation. So there's an impulse even there that you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Totally agree with that. Now, the shaming and the blaming and the weighing out a, a gorilla versus a, a four-year-old human child. I mean, I, I get off the bus at all of that stuff. But I was thinking about it, and there are pieces of culture that absolutely we need to run headlong into and say, yep, God's doing a thing here. God's doing a thing here. And it may not look like the thing I've done. It may not look like the thing that God did in me and through me 20 years ago. It may not look like any of that. But it has the unmistakable fingerprints uh, of something that we see God up to, right? But at the same time, there are these cultural values that seem to be manifest in some of the ways we've inherited the idea of church. So it's a building, it's a facility, it's a campus, it's a program, it's a show. Uh, excellence is the highest value, you know, blah, 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 blah. I mean, those things I think Jesus would call into question. Yeah, it's very micro-government. You know, it's, I mean, it, it just feels like the, well, I can fall under this thing that establishes these other rules I can live by that are still within the legal wall of that, that America presents for sure. us to live within. Sure, But, and then, it, and then it gives me, a, I mean, it gives me a roadmap for how to live my life. I mean, that's... a our own laws present that same type of thing. Here's Absolutely. how there's what Liberty looks like. You abide by these laws and you will have what we call an American life. That's right. You know, that's right. And so it's, I don't know, it, it seems so mirrored. And, yes. and I think it's kind of, I think that's what even maybe in this political season, it's revealing to me as well. I'm just like, man, like, instead how of, did we get here? Instead of being a counterculture, we just reflect the values of the culture back to it. Right. Right. Yeah. With a, with a kind of a religious veneer. Now, yeah, and, and and that's always, I mean, that has always been the temptation. You either you either so separate yourself from culture that you have no impact on it, right? Or you so embrace it that you have no impact on it. And there's this middle incarnational ground where in the midst of the real context where we're at, we're sifting and sorting, we're testing and we're refining and we're and we're being tested. By all of these things, you know, I mean, how how does a Jesus follower react to bathroom wars? How does a how does a Jesus follower react to other Jesus followers who say they never chose to be same sex attracted? How do you, I mean, the the thing that there's so many deep, hard questions, and because of that, the easy litmus test answers have never been more appealing. You know, let's just make a rule and let's just follow the rule mm -hmm. and let's lack mercy. And as long as we're right, we're okay. And what Jesus does here is he so dismantles that way of thinking, that way of living, um, the with God and for God life. So you're onto mm -hmm. something there, my man. There is no question about it. And man, there's so much more to say. Yeah. Um, I will end with this. Um so, so one of our listeners um, grabbed me and he said, listen, um, I'm really interested in seeing what you guys recommend as opposed to what you're critiquing. Like you're doing a lot of critiquing, but you're not doing a lot of building. And I said, ah, my friend, that is why we've started a church. Mm -hmm. um, because we agree with that critique, that it's too easy to sit and to throw stones it's too easy, and I'm, I'm totally, this is one of my sins, is that it's easy for me to read the scriptures, immerse myself in that world, and then poke my head up and say, this is ridiculous, uh, and somehow think um, that I, I've got it figured out. Yeah. And so we felt like if we were going to continue with any integrity having this podcast and the kinds of conversations we're having, we had to start something. And we had to try something. We had to try to operate outside of the cultural inheritance we'd been given. 
And um, so that's why there's a Vox. It wasn't because that was the plan from the word go. It was because we feel deeply, deeply responsible uh, to not just critique, but to try to create right. uh, something along the way. Right. So all that is to say, brothers and sisters, we are so grateful. We're so grateful for you. Twitter, Facebook, uh, voxoc.com, subversivekingdom.com. Those are all the places you can find us. If, if these are helpful to you, um, we've, we're so grateful that you put reviews on. And so Andy's mom, put your review back on because <laughs> um, we're missing that. Uh, thank you for putting all that stuff on iTunes. Subscribe on iTunes. That helps us get mm-hmm. the word out. Share this. Tweet this stuff, whatever. And again, we're not doing this for any other reason that we're seeing this kind of large community hungry for some of the conversations. And so um, we're not uh, attempting to monetize this or to uh, build some sort of platform, but we, we think there's a place in the podcast world for uh, some of the conversations we're having and, and, and you validate that. So yep. to whatever degree um, you're willing to help us out, we'd love it. Otherwise, it's time for the blessing, Andy. All right? All right. All right, here we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I know. I was trying to I was trying to think of I was trying to think of what Seth Erie would say in that moment. You know, maybe we need a we maybe we need a Sefi blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you, particularly if you're an atheist and not listening right now. <laughs> And may the Lord give you peace. Amen and amen. Till next time, Vox. See ya. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Erie podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Erie. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Erie for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit subversivekingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.